It's Friday, March 6th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. This week, the Supreme Court heard its first major abortion rights case, with its new conservative majority on the bench. We'll dive into what the outcome of this case could mean for the future of abortion access in America. Then, Sunday is International Women's Day, and we talk to some women and their partners about sharing the workload at home. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by New Aller Life. More life, less blah. If you ever caught yourself yawning during civics class, well, here's a controversial pay-per-view-level showdown that happened this week between two branches of government that might be worth your attention. In one corner, the Senate Minority Leader. In the other corner, the Supreme Court's Chief Justice. You see, on Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard its first case challenging abortion access rights since Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh tipped the scales to make the court a solid conservative majority. Some activists are worried that this new conservative court could mean the end of Roe v. Wade, the landmark case that protects a woman's right to an abortion. It's gotten people so concerned that even the top Democrat in the Senate showed up to a rally outside the Supreme Court on Wednesday. And Senator Chuck Schumer had a message for those two justices. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Pay the price. You won't know what hit you. Pretty wild things for a member of one branch of government to say to members of another. And Chief Justice John Roberts clapped back. He condemned what he called threatening statements, saying they were inappropriate and dangerous. On the Senate floor the next day, Schumer said, my bad, that's not what I meant. Instead, there would be political consequences, political consequences for President Trump and Senate Republicans if the Supreme Court with the newly confirmed justices, stripped away a woman's right to choose. So what's this new case they're fighting over? It's called June Medical Services v. Russo. And there are actually two parts of this case we need to look at. First, there's this Louisiana law at the heart of the case. Back in 2014, Louisiana passed a law saying that any doctor performing abortions has to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. But the thing about these kinds of laws is they've led some clinics that perform abortions to close their doors because if doctors can't get a hospital to give them admitting privileges, those doctors can't perform abortions. And if doctors can't perform abortions, then women have to find a clinic with doctors who can. This 2014 law hasn't taken effect yet. But if it does, there would be only one doctor in the whole state of Louisiana who would be able to perform the procedure. This case is kind of deja vu for the Supremes. Back in 2016, the court heard a case involving a really similar law in Texas. They decided back then that these kind of admitting privileges are medically unnecessary and actually made it harder for women seeking an abortion to have one. The court gave Texas's nearly identical law a thumbs down. Given that precedent, you would think Louisiana's law shouldn't have much hope. But since the Supreme Court has a new conservative majority, they could decide to go against their other ruling and give the Louisiana law a thumbs up. The whole thing is probably going to come down to one person, Chief Justice John Roberts. 
He's a historically conservative justice, but nowadays, he's more of a swing voter. During the hearing, he made clear that he doesn't understand why he's hearing a case involving a law that the court just struck down a few years ago. He asked about the difference between the two states' laws three times. It was the only line of questioning he had. I understand the point that the impact of uh, uh, the, the laws varies from state to state, but why do you look at each state differently if the benefits of the law, they're not going to change from state to state? It's still unclear how that part of the decision could play out. But like we said, there are two parts to this case. And the other part is about more than just whether these clinics that perform abortions can stay open. The state of Louisiana is also arguing that June Medical Services has no right to bring a case on behalf of its patients. It's Al Woods time, so get out your notebooks and let's define the legal term third-party standing. And since we're not lawyers, we called one up. Aperna Polavarapu is a law professor at the University of South Carolina Law School and says in most cases, the people affected by a law are the people who bring lawsuits. Typically, you can only have the ability to bring a claim if you can say that you've actually suffered harm. But there are exceptions, like when someone can't represent themselves in court or might not want to for personal reasons. In certain cases, a plaintiff doesn't have to be the one who brings the case. Someone else can, so long as that person actually represents their interests. That's called third-party standing, and it's how a lot of these abortion access cases have been filed since the 1970s. Here's why. Even for people who've had an abortion or support policies to expand abortion access, going in front of a court to explain why you should have a right to seek an abortion might be overwhelming. In Singleton v. Wolf, which is the oft-cited case for this, the court did talk about the fact that going public would have a chilling effect. And that chilling effect can mean people might decide not to go to court to defend their rights at all. So in past abortion cases, the Supreme Court has said it's okay for doctors or clinics that perform abortions to have third-party standing. And Polavarapu says there are other reasons this makes sense. You know, a court process can take quite some time, and after, you know, about nine months, you're having that baby. So if you're limiting plaintiffs to just those who are seeking abortion, an overly restrictive view would prevent, essentially prevent anyone from bringing a claim that would be able to rise to the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, lawyers for the state of Louisiana argue that places like June Medical Services shouldn't be able to bring cases on behalf of its patients because their interests don't overlap. So women go to clinics to get the best medical care, and the state thinks its admitting privileges law is the best medical care, which could mean the clinic and its patients are fighting for different things. If the Supreme Court rules in Louisiana's favor, it's possible that, in the future, doctors or clinics who perform abortions might not be able to bring cases on behalf of women. So in any future cases, to challenge abortion laws, someone would have to be willing to put herself out there publicly without a larger organization backing her. So what do the people actually deciding this case have to think? The 60 minutes of oral arguments that the Supreme Court hears don't tell us everything. But in an exchange with the lawyer for June Medical Services, Julie Reichelman, Justice Samuel Alito seems skeptical women seeking abortions needed anyone to file cases on their behalf. Reichelman disagreed and argued that the interests of clinics and the interests of its patients in this case are very much aligned. 
Your Honor, this is a law that restricts abortion by regulating the physicians rather than their patients. And so it's appropriate for them to be the plaintiffs here. Again, the state has pointed to— The the constitutional right at issue is not a constitutional right of abortion clinics, is it? It's a right of women. That's correct, Your Honor. But in order for women to access their right to abortion, they need to be able to access those services. So what's the skim? The Louisiana abortion access case you're hearing about at the Supreme Court isn't just about admitting privileges at hospitals. It could also dramatically change who can file legal challenges about abortion access in the first place. And while we could spend hours recapping both sides of the argument over Louisiana's abortion law and the issue of third-party standing, we should say that after just an hour of oral arguments at the Supreme Court this week, the time for making arguments is over. It's now time for nine justices to make some major decisions that could affect the future of abortion access in America. We're expecting their decision this summer. So 2020 really is shaping up to be a historic year. If you still feel run down, even after meds have relieved allergy symptoms, Allerlife can help. Their unique vitamin and mineral blends take on allergy blottom, so you can feel less out of it. Take Allerlife as part of your daily routine. Allerlife does not treat allergy symptoms such as runny nose, itchy eyes, or watery eyes. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This Sunday is International Women's Day. And we've come a long way since the United Nations first celebrated it in the 70s. Today in the U.S., women now make up the majority of the workforce. They outpace men when it comes to going to college. And 4 in 10 U.S. moms are the primary breadwinners in their families. But when it comes to housework, equality still has a long way to go. A recent report by Oxfam looked at all the essential housework or care work that women around the world do like dishes, laundry, and caring for children, and found that had all those women been paid an American minimum wage, they would have earned almost $11 trillion a year. If all those women pooled their earnings, they would be bigger than the economies of Japan, Germany, and the UK combined. We asked one person today, if you could put a salary to all the housework you do, what would that look like? Man, I definitely would want six to seven figures. That's how much Janice Jordan says her work around the house is worth. She's a nanny in New York City where, according to Glassdoor, the going salary for that kind of work is nearly $34,000. And when that job's over, the real work begins. At home with her three kids. She says being a mom is like having a million jobs at once. Whatever everyone else gets, like teachers, doctors, firefighters, everything, I want every all of their pay lumped into mom's pay. One couple we talked to agrees and says their solution is to pay someone else to do it. Tiffany and A.B. Platero share a two-floor house with their toddler in Staten Island. Because we both have full-time jobs and it does take us a while to travel back and forth into the city, we actually do hire somebody to come in and clean our house once a month. And is that worth the 130 bucks they pay? The smell of Fabuloso when you get home (laughs) is the best smell in the world, especially if you don't need to touch it or clean your house yourself, obviously. Meanwhile, one couple we spoke to divides and conquers. I'm making the money and he's doing the rest. Yeah, she told me how it was going to be and I said, okay, babe. (laughs) That's Patrick Phillips and Sam Nizami. Patrick used to be a carpenter when they met, but his new job is tidying up. 
Sam says it's a fair setup. Whoever obviously is like going out to work every day, you can't expect them to do all of the housework, you know? It's just, it is what it is. Oh, really? You're unemployed, babe. Oh, well, I go to work every day. <laughs> I don't have any commerce business. So <laughs> this, we're going to wind up getting into a fight because of this. So that's what he calls it, work. The report says that countries need to invest in national care systems so that unpaid caretaking doesn't have to fall on women. It says countries should run messaging campaigns to challenge the idea that housework is just women's work. Now that's an $11 trillion idea we can get behind. COVID-19. It's in more than 70 countries worldwide. But no matter where you live, we all have the same best friends these days. Soap and water. We'll translate. That was Vietnamese for let's wash our hands. Rub, 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 rub them. Don't put your hands on your eyes, nose, and mouth. Limit going to crowded places. Fight back against Corona Corona. Vietnamese health officials work with local artists to write that banger. It's not the only one. The internet is blowing up with PSAs like this from government agencies, nonprofits, and internet cool kids. The British Red Cross put this on their TikTok page. A man washes his hands to a punchy version of Happy Birthday and blows out some candles. The idea is it should take you twice as long as that song to wash your hands. Now let's go to Iran, where this video is catching on. Imagine a ballet version of hand washing. That's what you're listening to. Guess hand washing is an art, not just science. Remember, the World Health Organization advises everyone to wash their hands regularly with soap and water or an alcohol-based hand rub to help fight COVID-19. That makes it sound like a chore, but now we know how to make it fun. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks so much for listening this week, and don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. A lot of news happens over the weekend, so to catch up first thing on Monday, sign up for our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. You can sign up at theskim.com.